Scripture reading tonight is from James chapter 1. James chapter 1, we're going to read verses 2 through 4. James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. It says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So I know what you're all thinking, or at least some of you anyway. What's the deal with five o'clock? Why are we meeting at five o'clock and not the scriptural appointed time of 6 p.m.? Because it's in there somewhere, I'm sure. Um, the thought is that as, as, as changes have been made and a lot of things with our schedule has been, has been different, the thought is that I know a lot of people really want to be together. I know that's something that we've all been longing for. And meeting at five o'clock allows us as, as individuals, as families, it allows us, those of us who choose to, after services to maybe spend a little bit more time eating together if we wanna go out to eat or if we wanna have someone in our home. Um, the schedule is built this way for that particular reason. And so I'd like for you as your family and as you feel comfortable doing so, maybe pray about and look for some opportunities to get together with folks that you haven't seen in a few months and to spend time visiting with them and to spend time enjoying one another's company. And as the Bible says, exhorting one another, building one another up. So the, the reason for the five o'clock change is that particular reason. There's not a whole lot going on on Sunday afternoons right now at the building. And so it was a convenient time to do that. And as Larry said, that schedule, this schedule is gonna stay this way through uh, both June and Lord willing July as well. And the elders will keep evaluating what we're going to do schedule-wise because we're still in uncharted waters, aren't we? Still a little bit different uh, in a lot of ways. Really glad to see you this evening. Get your Bible, if you would, and open up to James chapter 1. James chapter 1. Conflict. James is talking in James chapter 1 about trials. That's the word he uses. But trials can come in a couple different forms. Trials can deal with the circumstances of life things that I really didn't want to happen, but happened anyway. The trials can also be about the people in our lives. And when we have a trial that is people related, we call that conflict. Because I'm not getting along with somebody. I'm at odds with somebody. And I really, really am struggling in my relationship with somebody. That's conflict. And there are three basic approaches to conflict. Some people avoid conflict at all costs, even when it means that I compromise my own convictions. If it avoids conflict, if it keeps us from having a problem, well, that's my goal. That's not biblical. Some battles need to be fought. We must contend earnestly for the faith, once for all delivered to the saints, Jude verse 3. A second approach to conflict is embrace it and long for it, and if there is no conflict, stir it up. Christians are not to act that way either. The Bible reminds us in 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 13 that we are to be at peace among ourselves. The Bible says, as much as is within you, as much as you possibly can, be at peace with all men. 
Romans chapter 12, verse 18. A third approach to conflict is this. It's to ask the question, how can I honor God in this circumstance? I'm at odds with my fellow man. There's something in my relationship with this person that, that is just, it's really gnawing at both of us. How can God be honored in this situation? We can't avoid conflict at all costs, although we are to be peacemakers, Matthew 5, verse 9. We are not to stir up conflict, but rather we're to ask the question consistently, how can God be honored in times of conflict? It's going to happen. We live in a sin-sick world. How can I honor God through this? As you look at James chapter 1, verses 2 through 12, I want you to notice that there are a number of principles about conflict that will help us as we think about our faith. And that's what James is really all about. It's about what faith looks like, faith in action. These principles will help us to handle conflict in a way that honors God. As you look at James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4, or, uh, 2 through 12, notice in the first place, as you look at verses 2 and 3, that James indicates that conflict, trials, he calls them, it will test your faith. My brethren, count it all joy when you encounter various types of conflict, various trials. Why? Because the testing of your faith produces patience, he says. Young people who are in school, every so often the teacher will give them a test. And the purpose of that test is to assess how much of the material has been retained, how much have they learned. And in a very similar way, Christians face tests. They are, as you look at James chapter 1, verses 2 and 3, they are a part of Christian living. The testing of your faith. James just says it matter-of-factly. It's something that happens to us. But notice that not only are they a part of Christian living, tests reveal the truth about ourselves. You know what a test is really all about? Whether you're younger, whether you're older, all a test really is, is it's a truth finder. The test is just telling you the truth about what you know, about who you are. That's all it is. Somebody well said that if you love the truth, if, if the truth is really what you're all about, then you'll never fear a test because a test just reveals the truth about ourselves. And then when James says the testing of your faith, notice that he's pointing at, the, at this testing of our faith as an opportunity to grow. And that's something that's well worth thinking about. In every conflict that I ever face, the big ones and the small ones, various trials, he says, there is in every conflict an opportunity for me to be shaped and molded to be more like my Savior. And if I think about my tests and my conflicts that way, it's going to help me to please and honor God. Look at the passage again, James chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. James says, not only does conflict test our faith, but it also develops patience. Patience is tough. Everybody knows they need more of it. But when you pray for patience, be careful because you get conflict and you get trials. That's where patience arises. That's where it comes from. In verse 3, patience is produced. The testing of your faith produces. Some translations say works patience. 
Patience is something that must be produced. Just like it's been said that an oyster that by that sand, that grain of sand that gets inside of it, 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 it envelops that with, with different layers, and then finally it produces a pearl. So it is with patience. The irritations and the aggravations of our lives, those things are what produce patience in us. Not only that, but when you look at verse 4, James says, let patience have its perfect result. Let it have its perfect work. It must be allowed to work until it's complete. If we lose our patience, we're going to interrupt this process of growth and maturity that God wants to be happening in our lives. Be careful how we deal with conflict. Let patience have its perfect work, its complete work. And then think about what this passage is saying. It's saying when you encounter conflict, it's testing your faith, and that's going to be a way in which patience can be produced in your life. This is something God wants for you. It's something God wants for me. Don't be surprised when you face conflict in your life because God allows us to endure this so that we can become more patient, more loving. The fruit of the Spirit in and of itself is patience, among many other things. Galatians 5, verse 22. God wants people to be patient because love itself is patient. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 4. So, what do trials do? What does conflict do? It tests our faith. It develops patience. And then third, it builds maturity. Look at verse 4 again of James chapter 1. You see the passage? In James chapter 1, verse 4, James says, Let patience have its perfect result, so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. The words he's using there have nothing to do with being sinlessly perfect. He's not saying that you're going to get to this spiritual plane, this, this level of attainment where you never sin anymore. That's not what he's saying. When he talks about being perfect, he's not talking about somebody who is never guilty of sin. What he is saying, when he uses that phrase perfect, he means full-grown, mature, grown up. And that is what God's will is for our lives, that we grow up, that we mature, that we become full-grown Christians, mature Christians as it were. How does that happen, James? It happens, among many other ways, in our experiences and our handling of conflict. So notice the pattern. There is testing of our faith that takes place, and patience is what results from that. And if we allow patience to have its perfect work, then maturity is the final pro product, the result. We grow up and we mature and we become more like Jesus Christ. That's what God wants for our lives. Not only does He want to produce patience in us, He wants us to be mature and conflict is one way in which we can grow into maturity. One thing to consider, I don't know if you've ever noticed the deja vu thing in your life, but I have in mine. There have been times and places and people that the people change and the times change and the places change, but the conflict keeps happening. The same kind of conflict for the same kind of reasons. When we have the same kind of conflicts repeatedly, when this is happening over and over in our lives, this is something that maybe we need to tune into as Christians. We may not be allowing God to have His way. 
We may be short-circuiting the process that God wants to be taking place in our lives. He wants us to be patient. He wants us to become full-grown, mature. And if we lose our patience, if we respond in anger and sinfulness, if we do those things, we may well be short-circuiting what God really wants to accomplish in our lives. You know, some of the world's problems and some of our interpersonal problems may never be solved. But that doesn't mean God can't help us grow. That doesn't mean that we can't handle conflict in a way that honors Him and become mature. Next, when you look at James chapter 1, verse 5, conflict builds wisdom. It builds wisdom. Look at what he says. Read with me. If any of you lacks wisdom, why might we lack wisdom? Because we're in a conflict and we don't know how to respond. We don't know what to say. We don't know how to diffuse this time bomb that we're facing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, James says. There's a need for wisdom. The ability to see and to choose what's best in a given situation. The ability to look at the relationship I have with somebody and to decide I'm going to try to do the very best that I can in this situation. And when we're in the middle of conflict and the relationship and the situation might look hopeless, that can help remind us sometimes of our own insufficiency. It can help remind us that we don't have all the answers and we don't know all the right buttons to push and all the right dials to turn so that our relationships work out in God-honoring ways. We need wisdom. We need God's help. When we think about wisdom, the need for wisdom forces us to pr- examine our priorities and our goals. It forces us to ask the question, what do I really want to happen in this relationship? What do I really want to happen in this conflict? I'm at odds with somebody. What is it that I want the result to be? Am I looking to win? Am I looking to get the last word? Am I looking to prove that I was right and somebody else was wrong? What am I really after? Or am I really trying to seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness? Am I really about the salvation of someone's soul? Conflict forces us to evaluate our priorities and end goals, and it causes us to wonder what is best. What's the best outcome in this situation, this circumstance? What is the best that could happen in all of this? It takes wisdom to know those things. And so one of the things that God allows conflict in our lives to affect, what He desires from that, is not only that we become patient and mature, but also that we grow in wisdom in our desire to see and to choose what's best. What does conflict do in our lives? Look at James chapter 1, verses 6 through 8. It encourages prayer. If any of you lacks wisdom, what are we supposed to do? If any of you lacks wisdom, go down to the library and study all the conflict resolution books that the library has to offer. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him go to all of his brethren and spell out all the gory details of the relationship and let their brethren decide what's best. Is that what the passage says? It says, if you lack wisdom, ask who? Ask God. Turn to God in prayer and ask Him for wisdom. And what's really neat about this is that there is a promise in this passage that not enough Christians think about. God is saying to you, if you'll just come to me and ask for wisdom, I promise to give it to you. All you need to do is ask. 
Notice that God gives wisdom to those who ask, and He gives liberally, generously, some translations have in verse 5. That is to say, it's kind of like when I used to go to my grandmother's house, and she was making chocolate chip cookies. And she would say, hey, I just baked some cookies, and I would walk into her kitchen, and I would say, well, I'd like one. And she'd never just give me one. She would always give generously. She would always give liberally. That's what grandmothers do. More so with God. When God gives wisdom, He gives liberally, generously, even more than you thought you needed. And notice as well, the Bible says that He gives without reproach. He upbraideth not, the King James says. He doesn't say, you're coming to me again and asking me for wisdom. You're, you're going to bother me with this problem again? That's the reproach. That's what that means. The idea that, that, that you would come to me and I, I've got a, a universe to run and I've got all kinds of souls to be concerned about and, and you're bringing this conflict to me and saying that you need wisdom? That's reproach. And the Bible says God doesn't have any of that. When I come to God, He's glad to hear from me. He wants to bless me. And when I ask Him for wisdom, He gives liberally, generously, and He gives without reproach. And notice then that James says, let him ask in faith without doubting. For the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. Let not that man think that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. There's a principle about prayer worth considering. When I ask God for wisdom, I need to believe in my heart that God is going to hear and He's going to answer this prayer. I need to believe and have confidence, even though I don't know how He's going to answer this prayer, I need to believe that God has promised and I'm claiming the promise that He's made to me. God gives to those who ask in faith. When we're in conflict, we tend to talk to everybody else and get their read and get their feedback and get their assessment of the situation. God says, come talk to me. I'll give you the wisdom you need. Conflict leads to prayer. Notice this. Conflict forces us to consider eternity. When you look at verses 9 through 11, what's James's subject? What's his topic? His topic is the trials and the conflicts we encounter as Christians. And he says in verse 9, let the brother of lowly estate, let him glory in his high position. You see it? Let him glory in his high position. The lowly man, the, the poor brother, let him say, I'm rich in the things that really matter. Conflict is going to happen. Sometimes it's economic conflict. But even in those circumstances, we can find reasons to rejoice. We can find ways to really affirm that what God says is true. And let the rich man, he goes on to say in verses 10 and 11, glory in his humiliation, because like the flower of the grass, he will soon fade away in his pursuits. And so let those who are wealthy and let those who are high and mighty, so to speak, let them say, you know what? In conflict, whether we're rich or poor, wherever we come from, we're all going to stand before our Maker one day. And we're all going to be somewhere forever. 
Conflict forces us to consider eternity. Am I handling this not just in a way so that I could try to win and get my way? Am I handling this conflict in a way that shows I really believe I'm going to be somewhere forever? It forces us to consider eternity. All conflict, brothers and sisters, must be examined in light of eternity. Before we go to battle, before we go to war with somebody, we need to stop and ask ourselves, have I considered my soul? Look at verse 12. When you think about conflict and what conflict can accomplish in our lives, it gives us a crown when handled properly. James says, let the brother who endures under trials, let him rejoice because he'll receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. It must be endured, the Bible says, with faithfulness. It must be endured with faithfulness. When I enter into any kind of conflict, I've got to ask myself, what does God want me to do? How does he want me to respond? Where can I find his wisdom and how can I apply it more in this situation? That's being faithful to him. Not only that, I need to ask questions like this. Will the Lord say to me at the end of this, well done? When we enter into conflict, it may well be a difficult set of circumstances. Let's handle ourselves in such a way that our master would approve of us and that he'd say, well done, good and faithful servant. I need to ask myself this question. Am I in exhibiting behaviors and attitudes that God approves? You know, sometimes we get upset and angry and we start to act like we're children again. Am I acting like a Christian, like someone who belongs to God, someone who exalts Jesus Christ? Is it evident in my life that I love God and all of His works? Those questions need to be answered in the midst of conflict. It gives us a crown when handled properly. Conflict is not to be avoided at all costs, but it's not to be embraced and reveled in either. Every Christian needs to ask himself and herself, how do I honor God in the midst of the conflict in my life? Let's let God's Word instruct, inform, and enlighten us to that end. Maybe you're here tonight, you're not a New Testament Christian, and you want to obey the gospel. Put on Christ in baptism, Galatians 3.27. There's no better opportunity than right now. There's no better time than this very moment. If we can help you to obey the gospel, won't you come while together we stand and while we sing.